is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then all of those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for its generating power, Lord. There are many here, Lord, who have, have received that, and we celebrate that this morning. Lord, I pray that as we work through this text, you can be with me, you can be with your people, that they can see Christ as more beautiful, Christ as more lovely, and that we might be become more like him. Amen. So starting in verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So evidently in Corinth, there were people that somehow lost the idea that the resurrection was there or it was somehow important. And if you notice the context a little bit, Paul just gets done discussing what the gospel is and particularly emphasizing the resurrection that he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. So then he's building up to this point. So... Where, where are you getting this idea that people aren't raised from the dead? Well, evidently it was a cultural thing that Greek philosophers taught that the body was evil and the soul was good. So in this light, death was considered to be the final release of the soul from the body. The body is like a prison. So in other words, the culture had been influencing their understanding of the gospel. The culture had been changing what they knew and it, it shifted. So Paul, he's going he's gonna to address this. And um, a good example of that is when Paul, he goes and he's speaking at Athens in Acts 17. So Paul is going on, he's talking about the gospel, he's saying everything that's happened, and then he gets to the resurrection of the dead, and it says that some heard the resurrection of the dead, and some mocked, ha, what is this, you know? And the others said, well, we will hear you again about this. So to the Greek, the idea of a bodily resurrection was weird. They didn't understand it, so that started to come on top of... Uh, the gospel and change this. So then in verse 13, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, well, not even Christ has been raised. So then what Paul is going to do, he's going to take this, this idea head on. He's going to talk about it. He's going to work through it because they have an inconsistency if they believe that Jesus rose from the grave bodily and not other believers, that there would be a problem. So in other words, 
if Christ is raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. But if Christ is not raised, we will not be raised. So then what Paul does for the next several verses, he's going to go through this logical argument and try to go point by point the implications if there's no resurrection. So it's sort of like you have a, a train car and you have all these different cars behind it. And so he's going to say, well, if you disconnected here, you lose this doctrine, you lose this doctrine, you lose this doctrine, you lose this doctrine. One uh, author put it this way. I thought it was funny. He's kind of emphasizing the all the logic that is in these verses. And so just reading all the logical words, we end up with this funny sentence. It's, but if how, but if neither, but if then, for if neither, but if then if. So there's all this logic that Paul is using. If you remove the resurrection, you have this problem, and then this problem, and this problem. And Christ's resurrection is linked to ours. Four times in these verses, we see that Jesus' bodily resurrection is connected with ours. So we are so united in Christ that we can, if we see his body raised, we will likewise be bodily raised. It's, uh, we're, we're following the same path that Jesus is traveling. And uh, you'll notice verse 20 also kind of talks about it. It says, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So meaning he's the first and we will follow after. So really what I want to focus on this morning, the, there's at least five implications of the resurrection and kind of looking at each one of those. And then assume you kind of basically we're playing along with Paul. He, if there's no resurrection, so what? And then, well, Christ has been raised. So, so what? So we're going to look at those implications with knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead. So verse 14, it says this, that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. And if it is true, the dead are not raised. So we just hypothetically accept the premise that Christ is not raised. It creates a problem for the rest of the New Testament Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have all the epistles. We have all the Old Testament. So if we say that Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we have a problem with the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Bible. We may as well pick it up and throw it away because we have all these prophets. We have all these witnesses. We have all these people declaring that Christ would come. He would suffer and die and be raised up. So if Christ is not raised... What good is this? This is all just a bunch of lies. We, we've believed a silly book with a bunch of creative things that tickle our emotions. That's, that's not true. And so previously, Paul, he came and he declared the gospel to them. This is the gospel. Was I telling you a lie earlier? And now I was, I'm going to, you know, he's, he's calling them out. This, this isn't going to work. So then verse 16, it says, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. And you can think of the word useless. It's also used elsewhere to compare like a false religion and, and acts in the book of Peter. And you think, you know, just useless vanity. You're, if your faith is vanity, you could exchange it for a pound of air or we could take all of the dirt in this parking lot and trade your faith for that. It's, it's absolutely useless and good for nothing. So if someone were to come up here and say, why are you guys here this morning? What, what are you doing? And if Christ isn't raised, we just say, no reason. Well, why do you read your Bible? No reason. Why do you pray? No reason. If Christ hasn't been raised, every single thing that we do has no purpose. 
It's just a nice superstitious act. It's something we do to make ourselves feel warm and fuzzy. It has no purpose. So, when you think about the world, this is what the world, this is how the world lives. They don't live as if there is a, a resurrection of Christ. They don't live as if there is a resurrection from the dead. You, you go and you ask people on the street, well, what are you living for? And honest people will say, well, I, I don't know, or, well, I'm living for myself. Why not be self-indulgent? If there's no resurrection from the dead, why not just live here and now, consume as much pleasure as you can? Why be a good person? If there's no resurrection of the dead, if there's no judgment, why does it matter what you do here and now? As it says in verse 32, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. So you might think of all the things that you do, it's just like you pour it in a grinder, it just gets turned into dust. There's all of our works on earth, if we die, and this is Solomon's problem. He says, how do you escape death? You might live with the wisest man. You might save all sorts of money. You might do all these great accomplishments. But at the end of the day, if you die just like a fool, what does it matter? What does it matter what you do if you die and then that's it? If it's game over, what, what is there about a life? So let me just ask you this morning, how important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life? What does it matter to your daily life if Christ has been raised. Is the risen Christ a central theme in your life? Is he the foundation of your life? For a believer, Christ is so central, it affects every single thing that you do. And you can imagine if we had a tent this morning, it had a central pole that went up, and you know it's cold, so we wouldn't do that. But if this tent was held by this pole, and then in a moment we were to take the pole away, and it would just cover us, and it would be chaos and all sorts of crazy and yelling. Now, if that is likewise true in your life, you to remove Jesus Christ and your life is not chaotic and uplifted and crazy, then I seriously doubt whether you are genuinely a Christian. Christ influences and changes every single thing about your life because when a man is born again, he is a new creature. He has new desires. What's old is put away and what's new is totally different. God gives us a great love for him and a distaste for this world. And so... I guess it just you think about it. What what is what is the resurrection of Christ? If it's removed from your life, what does it really matter? And then verse 17. And you are still in your sins. And this is probably I'd rather be trapped in a horror movie to think about that reality. Uh, many years ago, we were traveling to Arizona um, and we were just driving through LA at night. And I was just thinking back about the time before I was a Christian and it wasn't like I had just wicked godly debauched lifestyle it was just my life without Christ it was not sweet it was painful it was horrific to think about my life before I was a Christian and you just think I don't want don't take Christ from my life you might take the Sun out of the sky you might take the joy out of fellowship you might destroy every smile I get to see you might take the sweetness out of food you might take away all of the beauty of creation all the love and joy of friendship and family you might take the numerous pleasures and cast them all away take all the riches of the way if I cannot have Christ because he is so worth it he is so much everything as Martin Luther has said I would rather be in hell with Christ than be in heaven without him if I am still in my sins, I cannot think of a reason to continue living because he is so valuable, so precious, so worth it all to still be in your sins. There, there's not another road. Paul doesn't say like, well, if Christ hasn't been raised, it's okay. We, we, can, we can have some moral reform. We can try to get in line. We, can, we have some uh, external character issues we can kind of work on. He says, no, if Christ is not raised, that's it. 
game over, go home. You are, you are sentenced to hell. There is no reconciliation with God and you have no hope of eternal life. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. You will be dead in trespasses and sins without ever seeing a hope of heaven. And so think about it. You, who, who really wants to go back to their unbelief? Who wants to return to the slave market of sin? To be locked up with the passions of your flesh. Begin becoming an instrument of the devil. Become dull to the things of God. Become a fool. Become vulnerable to the lies of the world. Become blind, deaf, and dumb. Return again to spiritual thought, or spiritual death. Perish the thought that we would ever have to go back from where God saved us. Amen. And so, again, there's, there's no plan B. God's not just going to let it slide and it, it's not a big deal. If Christ isn't raised... We don't have a hope of heaven. And then so verse 18, it says this. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And so just kind of the logical flow. Think about where he's at. If there is no resurrection, Christ didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead death has power over him if death has power over jesus he has not conquered it if jesus has not conquered it he cannot offer a payment for sins if jesus can't offer a payment for sins there is no escaping death and if there is no escaping death those who have died have perished without hope so you might think of all those that you've known in christ who have departed and are here we're we wouldn't see them again they're gone they're just a a memory that was nice and will soon fade and we will die and we will soon fade and on and on it'll go and there will not be any remembrance of those who have gone before and so verse 19 he says this that if christ has not been raised and we have hope only in this life and we have our people to be most pitied so if christ isn't raised this is all just a farce, a sham. We've all been conned into this idea of Jesus and we've just, we've wasted our life. There, there are scientists, they, they make some sort of discovery and based on that, they, they build the rest of their lives trying to prove their theory and kind of carry out the implications and they'll spend, you know, decades and years and years and years pouring themselves into this scientific discovery only later to find out, well, that thing that you started with, that, that actually wasn't true. And then they've wasted their entire life for nothing. And so think about that. If you've essentially wasted all of your good Christian efforts for nothing, you've poured into you know, good works and service, you've prayed, you've fasted, you've read your Bible, you've prayed, you've done all these good works for nothing. We, you wasted all of that. You, why shouldn't you be pitied? And so... You could have been living in self-indulgence and pleasure and just seeking pleasure, but instead you were trying to honor God in your life. But if there is no resurrection, what did any of that matter? Why did it matter if you were a good person? Why did it matter? You, you wasted. You could have had pleasure. Instead, you got nothing. So you are to be pitied. And as one man put it, if, we have, if Christ is not raised, then we only have the hope of a decomposing corpse of an itinerant Jewish carpenter turned rabbi. And so now the verse we've all been waiting for, verse 20. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So we can think of this. this
into the tomb and then he came out. Christ conquered death. But then I, I can hear one say, men don't rise from the dead. Well, very well, we, we may have not seen somebody rise from the dead, but that is the greatness of the resurrection of Christ. Men don't climb out of graves, for not one son of Adam by his own power has raised himself, for in Adam all die. But then there is Christ. There is none who can lay a charge against the spotless Lamb of God. There are no sins which call for his death. Death has no claim on him. It was not possible for him to be held by it. He made a full payment for sins. Indeed, Christ has abolished death and is no mere man. Those who say that men do not rise from the dead do not know Christ. They do not know that it is he who says, I have the authority to lay down my life and the authority to take it up again. We come this morning to celebrate not warm, fuzzy feelings that we get from some dead Jewish carpenter, nor a clever system of beliefs by religious wannabes. We come because Christ has conquered sin and, the de and death. He has put away our sin. has conquered sin and death. Amen. So, kind of walking back through. Day, along with Five says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went in the skins of the sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And then kind of... them from afar having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on earth so we have a great cloud of witnesses you look at all this in hebrews as well as the rest of the bible these people didn't live as if we only have one one of my friends said one one time on this rock that there would be a day where they would would get a reward so they risked their lives for the sake of christ they risk their possessions for the sake of the gospel. They did all sorts of things because they knew that this is not all there was. They knew that the, the value of Christ was such that it was worth giving your life for. 
They didn't care if they get mistreated. They didn't care if they might get sawn in two. They didn't care the consequences of their actions because they knew they had a hope of a better resurrection. They knew what was before them was better than what we have on earth. We have to be so careful with our idea of just trying to indulge our flesh that we miss the fact that we have an eternity before us where we will get to see Christ. That we here and now, it's not about living slow, about doing what we want. It's about denying ourselves for the cause of Christ. It's about denying ourselves because we believe that we will see God one day and one day we will be rewarded. And I think the greatest reward will actually be in seeing his face whom we are so excited for. So we have missionaries. Do they, why do they trade their lives of comfort and ease for what? Is it spending a third world country? No. They do it to tell the greatness of, of the gospel. There's people that, why do parents, they go day in and day out changing diapers, struggling with school and tantrums? Why? Is it because they think that, well, I just, I really love them? Or is it they believe that there is a reward to be had? We live in such a way that honors God, even though if it costs us friends and family and money, success, fame. Is it because we don't like those things? No, because by faith in the risen Lord, we see what matters. We don't live for this world. We're not caught up in the world like everybody else. We're set free to live for Christ. One of the great implications is of Christ being raised is we're not like the world anymore. We're not caught in our sin. We're not caught in just this vain repetition of doing what my body wants to do. We can be free to live for Christ. And then verse 17, that we are, are not in our sins. And this, you know, what a wonderful thought, that our sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. I mean, here we are this morning, the assembly of the risen Lord called out of darkness to his marvelous light. He were lifted up out of the pit. And you can ask around as you get to know people and different Christians in the church, you hear one about was saved from some sort of idolatry. This one was saved out of a life of sexual sin. This one was saved out of being a drunkard. All these different things that God has done for us. He has set us free from those sins. We're not slave to those passions anymore. And you think too, the, just the whole gospel and the resurrection, it demonstrates God's love for us, that he died for us sinners. Um, and then also think uh, John 5, 29, it says this, that those who have done good will have a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And if the Lord tarries, all of us will die. And for those of us who are in Christ, we, we will see him, we will stand before him, and we will be filled with, with great joy. But if you're not in Christ this morning, the curse for your sin is still on you, and God's wrath is still abiding on you. You will rise from your grave to face the God of all creation. Death doesn't, many people think that somehow death hides you from God. But no, it says his voice will draw you up out of the grave, and you, you will be judged. I mean, think what a terrible thought it would be that if there was some here this morning who had the ability to hear the gospel and believe and rejected it and will be facing God on that day. They will be without Christ. They will be naked and dead in their sins. What can they say for all of their sins? How will they give an account? What defense might you bring before God on that great day? I mean, think about it. You have the option that Christ, he, he himself took our sins on himself, died on the cross, of creation you have to face the consequences for all your sin and eternal hell you can have peace with god that all of your sins can be 
taken away from you. The east, as far as the east is from the west, and you have to give an account for those again because Christ took them all on his body. Christ paid the penalty for them all. They can be washed away and that there's never an afterthought or after reckoning of them. So think of the joyous thought if you're without Christ. Don't, don't perish without Christ when you have such a great hope and responsibility. And then verse 20, we think about those who have fallen asleep in Christ. They have not perished. They have gone before us with Christ. Christ has gone before us to prepare a place for them. And one day we will see them again. All the people who we've loved and have passed, while we have sorrow now, we don't suffer like those who have no hope. We have great joy of being able to see our loved ones again. That one day we'll totally be uh, reconciled, not only with uh, God face to face, but with many whom we, uh, we love. Um, and then finally, uh, we are of all people to be most not pitied, maybe joyful, happy, peaceful or envied we live with a future hope of expectation of seeing our Lord we can have hope in trials when difficulties come when calamities happen if you don't have Christ if you don't have the hope of a future resurrection that's just too bad for you but not so God uses all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose when difficulties come we can have joy when trials come we can have happiness because we know that there, there is a future reward waiting us, that this isn't all it is. It's like if you're building a, a sand castle and later you're gonna go to a great toy store and the waves knock a castle, you're not really gonna care because you know something greater is coming. So while we might have difficulties on earth, we look ahead toward meeting Christ. We look ahead for that great day when we finally get to meet him. We, we don't need to be pitied when difficulties happen. We have a great abiding joy that nobody can steal. We can have great, happiness it doesn't matter what our circumstances are so we are all people most to be envied because we have christ we have peace with god we're not slaves to our body we're not slaves to doing what the world is we're not entrapped to it so we can have great joy and so you might think you know there's a popular expression don't put all your eggs in one basket because if something goes wrong you'll lose all your eggs but we put all our eggs in the, the Christ basket, if you will, and we want to find more eggs to put in there because we know whatever we can invest in, in Him, we're going to see a reward. There's, there's, what else is there besides Christ? What, what other hope of, of future happiness is there besides Him? And so um, then finally in verse 20, that the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this, the first fruits is like the first of a great harvest. And so one author says, the significance of Christ as the first fruits is that it was the first of the harvest and the promise or pledge of the harvest that would follow, which is all of those who place their faith in Christ. Stated another way, the resurrection of Christ, the first fruits, guarantees the believer's resurrection. So you think when we think of the risen Lord, think that's our resurrection when we think of christ raising from the dead that's our resurrection to be had that's something we get to look forward to Amen. we know that because he is raised we shall be raised we know that because christ has been raised our sins are gone think about the the thought that all of your sins indeed are gone because christ has been risen from the dead you can have assurance that you'll have peace with god because christ has been risen from the dead you can have assurance that you're living the right way because Christ has been risen from the dead. It, 
and Acts, it uses the ultimate reason that you can know the future coming judgment is because Christ has been raised from the dead. So I want you to have confidence this morning that, yes, Christ has been risen from the dead. Yes, one day we will stand before him because of what Christ has done. Yes, we should be of all people most joyful, most happy because of this great finished work that Christ has done. And if you are still in your sins, know that there is hope in Christ. Know that you can be raised with him and walk in newness of life. We can have joy in our sufferings, joy in our pain, because we'll be raised again. So rejoice this morning that your faith is not in vain, your sins are forgiven, and we shall be raised again to see God in our flesh. Let's pray. Father God, again, we're so thankful for Christ, for the work he has done, the victory he now has as he has uh, conquered sin and death. And we can think of him now as he's in heaven interceding for us. And he lives, Lord, he lives to ever make intercession for us. And we know one day our living God will, will see him and the great joy that it will be. Amen.